this book has so many book darts that I don't think I could take it through the airport because it would set off. (laughs) (laughs) Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next? Episode 153. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, they say everything is bigger in Texas, and my three I'd rather be reading events there were no exception. Thank you so much to everyone who turned out. It was great to meet so many of you there. We still have more book tour stops on the horizon this fall. I'm heading west next week with stops in Denver, Olympia, and the Bay Area. Then later this fall, I'll be staying closer to home. You can catch me in Nashville, Cincinnati, and at the Kentucky Book Festival. Visit annbogle.com slash events for all the details. That's Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L dot com slash events. I hope to see you there. Next. Today's guest, Carrie Sweeney, is a working mom of four who has developed a very unique system to keep her reading life running like clockwork. We're chatting about wishy-washy star ratings, the right season for the right book, reading at the grocery store, and she's sharing her secret to getting the hottest new books the week they release for free. Let's get to it. Carrie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Anne. I'm happy to be here. I feel like I've known you, at least on social media and in book club, for a really long time, but we've never gotten to actually chat with voices about books before. Same. I think I was following your your blog back in its infancy before all the book stuff became more more formal. So I've enjoyed kind of watching the progression of your bookish career. You may have a better perspective than I do. So have you been on the (laughs) internet talking about books for that long? Not at all. In fact, it was really after the birth of my third child that I kind of made a conscious effort to try to get back to reading. I had always loved reading, but had kind of let it fall to the wayside when life tends to take over. And I stumbled across your blog when you used to do just the kind of impromptu literary matchmaking. I don't know if it was more formal then, but that's kind of how I originally found you. And then it's just evolved from there. Um, I would say I've started to get more involved online probably in 2016. So about two or three years that I've been more involved with online book club, um, bookstagram, that type of thing. And I found personally that when I have a moment in time that I can link to a graduation date or a move or the birth of a child, I really know when something happened in my life. When was your third child born that you had this epiphany that you wanted to focus more on reading again? This is going to sound super creepy, but it is the same exact day and year of your youngest. (laughs) Really? That's so funny. Yeah. So my my daughter, Ellie, always says, well, isn't your book club lady's son? (laughs) I'm like, yes, Ellie, but I've never met her in person. And it would be kind of creepy for you to send a card. (laughs) That is (laughs) amazing. Yeah. Okay. So eight and a half years ago. Eight and a half years ago. What happened then that made you think it's time to make a change? You know, I think maybe I was just feeling it. She was my third child. I was laid off at the time looking for jobs and kind of just feeling like I wanted a redirection and remembering how much mental support my you know emotional game got from reading. Being able to kind of escape into a book helps me not tune out, but just when you have the stresses of newborns and in this case, looking for a job, managing a house, doing all those things, being able to kind of escape into a book just was such a support to me mentally. That was almost like a type of therapy for me. 
that being said, it took me a long time. So it took me from 2010 until probably a year ago, really to understand what type of reader I am and own it. I'm a multi-genre reader. I'm a mood reader. And then just to not make any apologies about that. So it took me a long time you know, about six and a half years to get from that just starting reading again to where I am now and really feeling like I kind of finally have a really good grasp on what I want to get from my reading life. What made you realize your understanding of your own reading life had evolved? I stopped feeling guilty about what books I was reading. I stopped feeling guilty about just stopping reading a book completely realizing that there is a different season for certain books. Like I can pick up a book. In fact, I've started and stopped five books this week. It's not because they're bad books and it's not because I don't plan on reading them someday. It's just not the right time right now. I think sometimes books are better in the spring or summer versus the fall or winter. I live in Wisconsin, so I'm inside (laughs) pretty much nine months out of the year. Um, And some books are just better to be read in front of the fire just kind of letting go of expectations. And they weren't anybody's expectations, right? I mean, they're just things that I assumed. But just knowing that I don't have to be reading a book that everybody else is reading, that I shouldn't feel guilty if I like a lighter book, right? That's not highbrow literary fiction. I learned that I like to pair kind of heavier reads and then offset those with some lighter reads that don't necessarily require as much thought Mm -hmm. (laughs) or, or focus, is trial and error. Read what you want to read. Read what brings you happiness and don't worry about other people's opinions. Did you realize back in 2010-ish that you had these expectations about yourself and your reading life? No. And I think it was more, the more involved I got with the bookish community, I think that's where those self-imposed guilt or expectations came from. So sometimes I think it's easy to get caught up in in those worlds, if you will, or critics reviews or the best of lists or, you know, how many books you read, quantity goals. And if I get too caught up in that, it takes the fun out of reading. It feels like work and I don't ever want it to feel like work. I want to be able to read what I want when I want and not feel like I'm beholden to something else. I talked to a lot of readers who I think would really relate to what you're saying about at first the book community feeling like this amazing wide open space they've stepped into. But then I often hear that it begins to feel oppressive as they realize all the things they'll never have time to read and what they're missing out on, or they see other people enjoying books that just aren't for them. And they wonder if they are doing it wrong. What is a piece of advice you'd give to someone at this point in their book journey? Because it sounds like you walk the road and you have come out into the clearing on the other side and you're really happy with where you are. So what would you tell this reader who's struggling with the same things you did back then? Just let go of the guilt. For me, I find it much easier to abandon a book or not deal with it if I get it from the library. I love my library. I get 80% of my books from the library because I'm ridiculously thrifty when it comes to books. But It's much easier to set aside a book if you haven't invested money in it. So for a suggestion, start getting books from the library because it'll be easier to abandon. Second of all, don't worry. It sounds so easy, but don't worry about the opinions of people that are on the Internet. I mean, yes, there's real human people behind those those faces. But at the end of the day, we only have so much time to dedicate to reading. And it just makes me so sad to think that someone's spending that precious time reading something that isn't fulfilling them because there's some unwritten expectation. It took me a long time to get to get there. And 
the fact that I used to say it was a guilty pleasure read. I know the term exists for a reason, but I don't feel guilty sometimes. I mean, I read the Jenny Han series, the P.S. I Love You or To All the Boys I Love Before books. I read like a book a day for three days and they were charming. I I loved them. I don't think I'm the audience for that book. But originally I'm like, oh, you know, these are a guilty pleasure. No, it's just, it was a pleasure. It fit a need I had at the time for the season in my reading life. And I'm just really glad I had the chance to read them. So yeah, just try to let go of the guilt. If it's not working for you, no apologies. There's no shame in that. Just move on because there's so many books out there, right? There really are books for everyone. The trick, I think, is just sometimes finding the right book for the right time. That is the truth. And it sounds like it's interesting that you know that for you, if you get it from the library, it's easier for you to keep looking for the book that's right for you right now. Carrie, you said that your bookish superpower was really rocking your library holds. (laughs) I do. It's embarrassing. So part of my kind of reading life is I've made a habit of getting up early, kind of at the break of dawn. I'm a much more productive in the morning. I'm a morning person. So I get up about an hour prior to the rest of my house before I have to do mom stuff and get ready for work. And part of that time I spend reading, obviously, but then I also grab a cup of coffee and I check my library holds. I probably check my library holds more than I check my bake statement. (laughs) Well, you know what your bank statement is going to say, hopefully, but you never know what surprises will come through in your library holds. That's true. So a couple of years ago, I did start keeping a book journal. It's a really modified bullet journal, if you will. But in there, I have my books to be read list, like so many of us readers do. And what I do is when there is an upcoming title that's going to be released, I will obviously write that in my journal along with the release date. And then what I do a couple times a week when I'm checking those holds is I cross-reference my bullet journal and I check to make sure I have either put them on hold or check if they're going to be available for hold at my library. And then I just change the status of that in my journal from a dot to like an open circle so I know that I've placed my hold and that it's ready to go. But since I do that so often, I'm like regularly first or second in line. Um, So I get them the day that they come out, which I love. But then I also make sure that I reserve them in multiple formats. So I will reserve it in the print version, the audio version, and the ebook version. So whatever version comes in first, I don't care. And then I figure I'm kind of giving the next person in line a gift when I, I cancel the version that I don't, <laughs> I don't get. So it takes a little bit of effort, but the payoff I think is, is worth it. And your book budget will thank you. I know mine does. So it's just really kind of having an active ongoing maintenance really of, you know, the library holds. I also really take advantage. My library has the freeze feature. So since I check my hold list pretty much daily, I'm able to see if, too many books are going to start coming in at the same time. And then I can freeze a couple without losing my spot in line. I am a fast reader, but the only bit of guilt that I think I have with my reading life is I feel guilty if I take out too many books from the library, knowing I'm not going to get to Mm -hmm. them in a timely Mm -hmm. manner because I don't want to hold anybody else up. So I really try to to manage those by only having a couple out at a time and knowing what I'm actually going to be able to get to, especially when they're the 14 day books, you know, and there's 196 plus people on the waiting list. (laughs) That's, I feel guilty about that. Now you said that you would want to freeze them if you saw that too many were coming in at once. What's too many for you? Mm, Typically read about two books a week. 
So I think the most that I've ever actually taken out is probably four or five books at a time, which really isn't that many. Never like you're hurting for a book to read, right? I mean, there's always something on the shelf. But yeah, probably four or five. Is this morning coffee library routine strictly a means to an end? Or do you find that the planning is part of the pleasure of the reading life? Both. I think for me, there was a time in my life where we had just moved and I wasn't able to have that time in the morning. And I quickly realized that something was missing and I needed to get back to that. And it was maybe two weeks that I wasn't able to do that. In fact, I just got back from a road trip. And on that road trip, it was 12 days and I read one book and I wasn't able to have that kind of morning pattern, if you will. That's kind of just centering for me, if you will. But I do find that I enjoy the planning. I like kind of knowing what's coming in terms of library holds and what's being released um, for new books. I like being able to know that fall and winter are coming and some of those books that I put off because I was thinking they might be better fall winter reads. That helps too. Same thing if I'm traveling. I like to try to read a book of the place um, that I'm going to. So I like the planning. I think it helps give me a better understanding of what books I want to read when. You did just get back from a road trip. Did you read in preparation for that? Since we know you didn't read during. I didn't. I didn't read anything in preparation. I really just focused on making sure we had a place to sleep. But like in the past, when I've been traveling to Seattle, I would read like a Jamie Ford book, which usually those Mm -hmm. usually take place in Seattle. Um, I've tried to read books that take place in Hawaii before a Hawaii trip things like that. I think it's always just nice to kind of get a feel for for the place you're going to. Um, Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But that's how a reader tries. Right. We've heard about how you keep track of what you want to read. Now, I also know you have an interesting way of keeping track of what you have read. Yes, yes, yes. So I started a separate kind of bookstagram account on Instagram a couple of years ago. And really, I predominantly use it just for tracking the books that I read and really short reviews. Pretty much anything I read goes on there. But what I was finding was I didn't want them just to live on the interwebs. I wanted to have kind of something to touch and feel. Um, Starting last year, I started putting them into a book called Chatbooks. And it's just a service, if you will, that actually your Instagram feed can feed right into this Chatbooks website. You can do it on your phone or you can do it online. And you can set it up as a series. So the books come in all different shapes and sizes. The ones that I get are, they're six by six. They're adorable. They're just cute little books. And they have 60 pages in them. So you can have the books and the comments. And what happens is you can have it set up so that your feed goes right into chat books and it automatically populates for you. And when you hit that 60 page limit, they will email you and say, you have three days to go and edit your book. And then they'll ship it to you automatically. And it's super affordable. It's like, I think $10 shipped. But for me, it's just a nice little snapshot of what I've read for the year, like in a yearbook. So you could do a yearbook that was just all the books that you read for 2018 and your thoughts on those books. And I found I did some last year and actually my mom wanted to borrow them and take them them home with her because I think she was going to share them with some friends. But it was nice for her to be able to flip through and see my thoughts on the books that I read to see what she might want to add to her list. But it's also fun for me to go back even a year later to see what I thought about the book at the time and if I still felt like that. How often do you? How often do I feel the same? Yeah. Looking back? Not always. In fact, I will sometimes go back to my bullet journal. I gave something three stars. I'll go back and either give it two or four. (laughs) So it depends, you know, and usually it's when I'm trying to like take a look at 
for example, my favorites of the first half of the year. And I take a look at those and I'm like, you know, that one was really more of a five star versus a four star. And I'm super stingy with five stars. And I think that that really does play into obviously your season of life. Like I read the book Room by Emma Donahue Mm -hmm. before I had kids. And I know for a fact that if I read it now after I have kids, that would be a completely different reading experience. Mm -hmm. I might be afraid to go there. Yeah, I don't think I would read it again. Or um, what's the book by The Lovely Bones? I read before I had kids. I don't think Uh I would read that again. Mm -hmm. There's very few trigger warnings for me. (laughs) I'm I'm pretty much an all-inclusive content reader. However, uh, stuff with kids is that's that's tough. Well, I will remember that when we talk about books later. Carrie, you mentioned that you were stingy with your stars. What is your criteria for giving a book the five star? Five star books are completely relatable characters I could imagine having coffee with or a beer. It has a story that sticks with me really well paced. The writing doesn't even have to be phenomenal. The writing just has to be something that keeps my attention and is memorable. But yeah, I'm trying to think the books I read last year, I think less than 10% were five-star books. I'm noticing that you know your <laughs> statistics. I do. I, I'm such a I'm such a book nerd because I was curious. I was curious to, to know. I always thought that I got the majority of my books from the library, but I wasn't sure. So I took a look at the last couple of years and about 80% of the books that I read are from the library. And then that got me thinking, well, of the books that I read, what is my rating structure? And so I put those into an Excel spreadsheet for like maybe the last two or three years to see, you know, what were three, four or five star reads and never have a one star read because I will have abandoned it by then. (laughs) But the majority are, you know, three and four star reads, which to me is just it's a good, entertaining book. I like statistics. I can tell. That's lots of fun. (laughs) Carrie, you do get a lot of reading in more than most people. And I suspect one of the reasons is because of your philosophy of what constitutes reading time. Would you tell us about that? Yes. Don't want to get on a soapbox, but I little, a little bit passionate about, (laughs) um, a little bit passionate about free time because I feel like for the longest time I work full time. I have four kids. I have a husband three cats. But my life is no busier than someone who is single or someone who is retired or someone who is in college. And I feel like everyone has the same bundle of time, right? Everyone has 24 hours in the day. And it's what you do with your quote unquote free time, how you maximize that, that makes a difference. You kind of have to take the time to make the time. And if something's important enough to you, in my case, reading's very important to me, then I will find a way to fit that into my current stage of life. And I always hear people say, oh, I wish I had more time to read. But I never hear anyone say, gee, I wish I had more time to spend on Facebook. Sorry, Mr. Zuckerberg. But nobody wants to spend more time doing that. They all want to spend more time doing those things that they're passionate about, whether it's a hobby, whether it's gardening, or in my case, reading. So I really kind of just took a look at the things in my life that I could change, those fixed things. Um, versus the things that I couldn't. So like I mentioned, I do get up early every morning and I use that time to enjoy a cup of coffee, um, read my book a little bit, check my library holds before I go into mom work. I regularly utilize my lunch hour for reading, um, the school pickup line, uh, doctor's appointments, sports practices. My 12 year old laughs at me because we'll go to like her orthodontist appointment and I'll have my book. And she's like, where do I find time to read? You know, she just (laughs) makes fun of me, but that's just it. Those 10 minute snippets really start to add up. So if I read in the morning and I read over lunch 
15 minutes in the carpool line before bed, that can add up to almost two and a half, three hours worth of reading time a day. I did start adding last year, intentionally, I started adding an audiobook to my reading life. And typically, I like nonfiction audiobooks more than fiction because they're easier for me to balance a, a print fiction and a nonfiction audio. But those books I can listen to when I'm doing those mundane household tasks, you know, folding the laundry, mm-hmm. vacuuming, even prepping dinner. You know, if you work out, you can listen to an audiobook on the treadmill. Or if you just walk around your neighborhood, you can listen to an audiobook. There are those kind of hidden time slots in your day. You know, I kind of I challenge those people that want to find more time to read to be intentional about it, even for for a week. I always have a book with you when you grab the keys to leave the house. Make sure the book is with you in the car. Maybe leave your phone or a tablet in a completely different room of the house so you're not distracted. But yeah, there's there's so much hidden time in the day. It's just a matter of taking that time and making it into what you want it to be. What are some of the more unusual times and places you found yourself popping your book open? <laughs> Last year, I took my birthday off for the day and I actually spent lunch at a bar. I am from Wisconsin. So I had my book and a beer at the bar and it was lovely. So I sat there, <laughs> had my lunch. I just did whatever I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday to me. All right. I want to get back to some of those five-star favorites you were talking about. So you know how this works. You are going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you're reading now. And we will talk about what you might enjoy reading next. Are these five-star favorites you're going to be sharing today? They are five-star favorites. Are you ready? I would love to hear about them. It's not hard picking your three favorites. It's hard like narrowing it down because you could do your three favorites of a particular genre, right? My three favorite historical fiction novels, or you could do your three favorites of last year. It's so hard to narrow down. <laughs> the three books that I picked are books that I've read in the last couple of years, but I still think about them regularly. I regularly recommend them and I want everyone else to read them. And I think they make good discussion books as well. The first book is The Great Alone by Kristen Hanna. I had been reading Krista Hanna for years prior to when she kind of really came on the scene with The Nightingale. Um, so it's been fun to kind of watch her progression as an as an author. And I think she's getting better the more and more she writes. But The Great Alone, I love that it's set in Alaska. I love that the place here really is a character in itself. I love that it is a well-paced story with really engaging characters. I love that it is told in a dual timeline, although I feel like that's happening more and more and more, and it's getting trickier to not have it be something that's kind of cliche, but it really works in this case. It really focuses on community, love, and then the impacts that the decisions that the characters make, how that all impacts everyone else in this community. There's definitely some heavier themes, but like I said, I don't always shy away from the heavier themes, but it kind of ticked all of my boxes. It had a great place, a great story, and it had really memorable characters. Got it. What's it, What's another book you love? I want to see how this plays out here. The One in a Million Boy, which I originally heard on your podcast, and I picked it for my In Real Life book club because I wanted to read it again. And it's not a book that I would necessarily pick up based on the jacket description, but there are so many passages in this book that just it makes my hand fly to my heart and just kind of sigh. And it's like, oh, yes, that's exact. <laughs> that's exactly how it is. Like, that's exactly 
how I was feeling and the author put it into words. It's just heartfelt and it's the right amount of sad. It's got these charming, quirky characters. It's so multi-layered. Love and loss and friendship and family. It doesn't feel like work reading this. It just feels like this lovely tale of people that come together after a loss from multiple perspectives and just how their lives become intertwined. It's lovely. I'm rather fond of that one myself. Tell me about another book you love. So I cheated. Bear Town and Us Against You by Frederick Bachman. Okay, we won't hold that against you. No, and Frederick Bachman, oh my gosh, he's like easily my favorite author currently. This book has so many book darts that I don't think I could take it through the airport because it would set off <laughs> the metal, de- metal detector. But very similar to the one in A Million Boy, it's just there's these passages that are so relatable and they're gorgeous, but they're not these big high highbrow lit MFA type writing. It's just, it's simple, but beautiful writing. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. What does highbrow lit MFA writing look like to you? Like, so I read Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff and I felt like I knew that it was well-written and I knew that it was beautifully written and well-crafted. But when I was reading it, I felt like maybe I wasn't smart enough to be reading this book (laughs) because that felt like work. So sometimes when I read some of the literary fiction or award-winning books, it feels like I have to work more to understand what they're trying to say. Like it's got like a deeper meaning. I have to really think about the context of the writing where with Beartown and Us Against You, it is what it is. What you see on the page is, is what you get. And I don't have to think about what the bigger implications are. Okay, that's helpful. So you're a multi-genre mood reader who reads heavy and light, often back to back. Yep. And you don't want your reading to feel like work. Right. But see, most of the time, right? Because I'm thinking right. of some of the books I've seen on your account and they were probably work to read. And I know you right. enjoyed them. Yes. And I did enjoy them. So those heavier books that maybe take a little bit more of my mental game to stay engaged and really think about, I enjoy them. I just can't read them back to back. So then I have to have a filler book that's a little bit lighter before I can jump back into that because otherwise it just gets to be too daunting. Okay. It's helpful to know that is one of the factors that you pay attention to and like to keep in the mix. Absolutely. But you don't feel like Botman does that. Yeah. I just feel like he's got a really unique perspective on human nature and he just brings these characters to life in a way that I tell, like I said, I tend to be a fast reader, but with these two books, I like purposely slowed down because I wanted to read every word and I wanted to just kind of extend the experience of these, this community of people. So yeah. I, and I know that, you know, Beartown is technically a book about hockey, but I really don't think it's even a book about hockey. I mean, it's really, it's about family and friends and this community and kind of the decisions you make after a, you know, event that brings everyone to the point where they have to make a decision about that event. But yeah, it was, it was just really relatable to me. I love them. Tell me about a book that wasn't for you. A book that wasn't for me. It sounds horrible. And I sound like a huge jerk because it's a memoir. And I think it's horrible to say for a memoir that you don't like someone's story. And it wasn't that I didn't like the story. The book is educated by Tara Westover. I was unable to put aside perhaps some of the hype surrounding the book. So I went into it with some preconceived notions. I respect her journey, if you will. I wanted more or I wanted something different. So she had this crazy upbringing with 
homeschooling or maybe not even schooling. I don't even know if she ever even went to school sometimes. Um, and then she took the ACT and boom, she got into BYU and all these different schools. And I think what I wanted was more background on how she achieved all of it. It kind of jumped right to her going to Harvard and Oxford and back and forth to Idaho and these Ivy League schools. And I wanted just more foundation, more background on the novel. So it's not that I didn't like it. I think I just wanted something else from it, but it wasn't my story to tell. So (laughs) in Educated, Tara Westover is very much telling you what happened. Some memoirs could be mistaken for novels if you were handed them devoid of descriptions or, you know, covers or backstory or author photo. But I don't know that that one could. And memoirs are so unique. This one didn't read as as well to me as some of the other ones that I enjoyed. What are you reading right now? Right now, I am reading Lonesome Dove, still. (laughs) That's understandable. I started reading it in April um, with some bookish friends. And so we're just kind of reading, you know, four to five chapters a week, which I really like because it's kind of a beast of a book. But oh my gosh, chapter 57 and 58, those were brutal. If you're an HSP, just skip right over chapters 57 and 58. Take my advice on that. Um, I'm also reading your new book and I'm really trying to like slow down and savor it, but <laughs> you're going to say trying to keep reading it. I'm like, no, oh, no. <laughs> no, no, totally keep reading it, but like I'm forcing myself just to read like one essay at a time because otherwise I'm just going to devour it. <laughs> I feel like I'm not the one to weigh in here, but I like that you're having this internal debate. And then my audiobook right now is Stretch Too Thin by Jessica Turner, which I'm really enjoying. It's a great perspective for me as a working mom. So yeah, so a little bit of everything. I'm looking forward to reading that one. Carrie, I feel like this is really challenging because we like a lot of the same books and like everybody else, I'm, you know, scanning the horizon for what I'm going to want to read and love. And now I feel double the pressure, but (laughs) I'm up for the challenge. We've talked a lot about what you're looking for. So we want a great story, great place, memorable characters. And I'm really paying attention to how you don't always want your reading to feel like work. But I know that you're willing to go to different genres and that you have a variety of different moods as a reader. And so I don't want to just recommend only like wistful literary fiction or, you know, (laughs) upbeat, happy all the time, breezy novels. I love stretching my reading life. And I think that if you read too much of one genre, they start to become diluted. For a while there last spring, I was reading like thriller after thriller after thriller. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can predict what's going to happen. It's the guy in the coat room with the cleaver, right? So I just had to step aside. I took maybe (laughs) three months off of just thrillers. And then I came back and I read one that I really enjoyed. So I think it's, for me, it's finding that balance between a great literary fiction, um, contemporary fiction, throw in some YA. It's all just a a good mix. So I have confidence in you. You can do this. All right, let's do it. First of all, I need to know if you've read Harry's Trees by John Cohen. It is available for pickup at my library today. It's a sign. It's a sign. I'm really glad you didn't freeze that hold. Okay, the way you describe your books and what you like, I love that this one is well-written, but it's not work to read. It's serious, but also fun. And I think it hits the same emotional notes, especially of the books you mentioned of the one in a million boy. It's not a stranger to Beartown at all, but the mood just feels very different. So I think it's going to check your boxes. So it's a great story. It's got a great setting in a magical kind of forest. It also has really memorable characters. And this is not remotely just 
another version of the one in a million boy, but listen to the similarities here. There are two individuals, both of whom experience their own kind of grief. This is honestly probably on the jacket, but I read it as an e-galley and I didn't know anything going in except that a friend recommended it and said she thought I would like it. And I, I liked that experience. I was really surprised and I'm going to preserve that for you. Thank when you. you go pick up your book from the library, think carefully before you read the jacket. But by about page 50, you have one man, one woman and one child. devastated by surprising turns of events in their lives. But they find each other. They discover a quest and they are determined to see it through, even though the bad guys that want to bulldoze the library attempt to get in their way. You can't bulldoze a library. That's the bad guy, obviously, right? (gasps) This this is the moral world of this story. And I think you're going to fit right in. Yeah, I'm in. Then I will stop there. Also, this doesn't seem quite fair, but I'm going to do it anyway. Have you read The History of Love by Nicole Krauss? No. And that's one of those books that I picked up probably two years after it came out. Because it came out a while ago, right? It did. It came out in 2006. Yep. So I think I picked it up and I started reading it. And it was one of those books that just wasn't the right book at the right time. And I haven't circled back to it. Well, wait to read this until it is legit cold outside. That is my advice to you. And I said it doesn't seem quite fair because it is a Modern Mrs. Darcy book club pick for November. But the way you've talked about your books, I really like it for you. You don't want your reading to feel like work. And I don't think this is hard work. But if you were to only read this book four minutes at a time in the Target checkout line, I think you would struggle to really get oriented in the story. But it's a literary mystery. There's a book within a book and the book within the book is called the history of love it's this manuscript that was written a long time ago and it provides the link between this old jewish man who fled his european country during the war to preserve his life but then something tragic happened that's a theme here today apparently and this young girl who shares the name of the character in the history of love they are linked but they don't know it. And the story unfolds in two timelines, like you were saying. Is that trendy now? I don't know. This was written in 2006. But you get the present day story of this old man living a a lonely life that Krauss portrays very touchingly and sympathetically. And um, your heart will really go out to this character. And the story of Alma, the young girl, but also the story of the book, The History of Love itself. And you have to pay attention. To, I mean, you could read it when you're sleepy, though. <laughs> and I think it's a fun, wistful. You mentioned that you liked a book that was just the right amount of sad. I do. This might merit that description as well. It sounds good. It sounds intriguing. And it will be plenty cold here in November. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's perfect timing. Don't have to worry about that. Carrie, I'm wondering if you've read anything by Sarah Addison Allen. I picked up one book of hers at my library's book sale last month, but I have not cracked the cover. Which one is it? Do you know? Um, The Lost Lake. Okay. Yeah, I may have read The Peach Keepers, but not enough that I remember, so I'm not going to count it. Those aren't my favorite Sarah Addison Allen books, but there's not a Sarah Addison Allen book that I just don't like at all. I like her for you for something a little more upbeat and fun. Yeah. Bad things certainly happen in these stories, but I'm noticing that while you chose three books that share a lot in common, they all have different tones. And this one has a tone that's a little bit lighter. Um, It's got more of a bounce to it. There are more upbeats and fewer downbeats. Oh, but which one? 
<laughs> Garden Spells is my favorite. Okay. It's might be the first novel she wrote. These are set in North Carolina. I know Alan herself lives in Asheville and I don't know the city well enough to recognize like, is this what she's talking about? But there is a strong element of magical realism in these books. She's writing about people that are absolutely real people. Like you want to take them to coffee and buy them birthday presents and you wish they were your neighbors. On the other hand, in her story universe, there's also an apple tree that throws things at you and you just kind of have to go with it. And if that weirds you out, then we'll talk about another author for you to read. But a lot of readers find that this gives them just enough distance from the story and the world of the story to love the characters and feel like they're totally real and relatable. But also I am reading this for fun because apple trees do not throw things. <laughs> I like magical realism. I'm in. In Garden Spells, there is a baker, one of the Waverly sisters, because all the Waverly sisters have a thing that is weird that they do, whether they like it or not. So there's one Waverly sister who bakes things and she can make you, I'm making this up. It's been a long time since I've read the book, <laughs> but like she can make you a cake that will make you remember your first love. Or she can make like a special kind of lemonade that'll make you jealous. This is her gift and she's a caterer, so she puts it to good use. But if that doesn't float your boat, then there are other Sarah Addison Allen books like the, I think it's the Sugar Queen. One of the characters has this gift or she feels like it's a curse for having a book come into her life exactly when she needs it. And it sounds like a really wonderful thing. Like who doesn't want that? But this character mostly just finds it really annoying. Like... I don't know. She needs to have a conversation with her mom and communication for dummies is sitting on her coffee table and she'll just be like, oh, book, why are you messing with me? Like, and she rolls her eyes at the book and goes on with her life. But I think these books might strike the right tone for you and might be something to read back to back with those heavier reads that we know you like to mix in, but not all the time. Those sound perfect. Garden Spells is my favorite. The Sugar Queen would also be a good pick. And she's writing another one. Doesn't have a publication date yet, but I keep checking. If I were you twice a week at six in the morning with my coffee, I'd be like, yep. is it on my library server yet? <laughs> of those three-ish books, what do you think you'll read next? I am definitely going to go pick up Harry's Trees today because that can be my, my book for, for the weekend. Like I said, I've been put down five books this week, so I'm in desperate need of something that's going to fit the bill. And that sounds perfect. Well, I hope it's a keeper. And I really hope the fact that it's waiting for you means that it is meant to be. <laughs> Thanks so much for talking books with me today. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Hey, readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Carrie this week, and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 153, and it's where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Next week, I chat with guest Ruth Ann Devaney about how she nurtures her literary interest in really tough subjects while accommodating her highly sensitive reading personality. Here's a sneak peek. Sometimes I think high sensitivity, depending on how it is, doesn't necessarily mean that you may or may not feel comfortable with uh, certain kinds of books, but sometimes it really does. What do you think's going on? For me, books don't affect me as much. Audio is different. I have to be careful about audio. But if I'm reading it on the page, I find that I can, you know, drift my eyes to the next paragraph or mm -hmm. something like that. If mm -hmm. I feel like, oh, something's happening that I'm not great with. And I think I've gotten more sensitive over the years. So there are some books I read in the past that I can't imagine reading again, like The Road. Oh. I don't think I could read that again. Yeah. Have you changed? Has the culture changed? I think I've changed. I'm not sure how, but I think that more life experience and being exposed to more things in the world 
has made me more empathetic toward other situations. And I'm not as able to put a bright line in the sand of like, this is fiction and then this is my life. Mm -hmm. So I think that has changed for me, but I do still have to be careful with books. I definitely look for trigger warnings. Subscribe now so you don't miss next week's episode in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We will see you next week. Readers, if you are on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Did you know you can join our Facebook community for Modern Mrs. Darcy? That's my blog at facebook.com slash modern Mrs. Darcy. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next? Readers, we always appreciate your reviews. Please leave one if you have two minutes. We would really appreciate it on Apple Podcasts. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenner Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. <laughs>